Well, hey, good morning, Grace Hill Church and all of our other friends who are tuning in to our live stream. Thanks so much for gathering with us this morning as we worship and as we jump in to God's word together. If you'll notice, we have a little bit of a different setting this morning. We are recording this from our homes. Uh, this week, we had a couple of members of our team come into close contact with those who are showing symptoms of the virus. No confirmed cases, so not too much to be worried about, but we are just being extra safe and careful, and so decided to record from our homes this morning. So thanks for gathering with us and excited to get into God's Word together this morning as we continue in our Reconsider Sermon series. Um, so if you have a Bible, open that up to the book of Romans. Uh, that's toward the beginning of your New Testament. After the four Gospels and Acts, you'll find Romans. We're going to be in chapter 8, and you can always use your phone app if you want. And we're going to put the verses on the screen for you uh, as well. And so we'll be in Romans 8 here in just a few minutes. But um, as we get started, let me uh, pray for us this morning. Father, in this moment, uh, I need you, and we all need you. We're going to be looking to your word to get uh, some answers to a really difficult question, a a question that uh, all of humanity really has been wrestling with ever since the beginning of our existence. It's a big question, God, and and Lord, I, I know that there are a lot of people in the world that it's, it's this particular question that really closes a lot of people off from really considering you and having faith in you. And so, God, I pray that your word would, would bring answers to our soul. I pray you'd be with me as I, as I seek to bring that out and to teach on it. And, God, I, I pray that there might be people tuning in this morning or are going to watch this later that uh, as they see how your scriptures answer this question that that god they may surrender their life to you and that's that's my prayer be with me right now god as i uh, speak from your scriptures we love you and we ask these things in jesus name amen uh earlier this week i was uh just doing some work and of course i was taking a bit of a break and scrolling through facebook a little bit, I'll admit, and I, and I saw this one particular viral video that was going around. Um, it was an old, it was of an older gentleman who was, it looked like he was standing on the outside of the assisted, the assisted living facility that his wife uh, was in or was living in or receiving care in. And it, and it seemed as if, didn't get a lot of information, but it seemed as if his wife was struggling with some sort of uh, a mental uh, memory condition like Alzheimer's or dementia. And she was sitting in a wheelchair facing out the window with one of her caregivers. And, and he was on the other side of the window on the outside. And he was just doing everything he could to communicate how much he adored her, to tell her how much he, he loved her. And so he started to sing to her, uh, I guess probably a song that he always sung to her, you know, the you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. And it was just this, such this vivid picture 
of the brokenness in our world, of the suffering that people go through. I mean, just imagine trying to communicate to someone that you had been with for years and years and years, probably decades, that you love them, but there's something that is blocking you from being able to do that. I mean, just even thinking about the reality of things like Alzheimer's or dementia or other diseases that eat away at our bodies and how they slowly take loved ones away from us. I'll never forget uh, going and praying with my friend Alex, who was slowly being taken away by brain cancer. And his wife and his baby right next to him. I'll never forget the last words that my grandmother said to me. She was in the hospital slipping away. And I went in to go see her. It was just me and her and um, in the room. And, and I went in and she looked at me and she got this really stern looking face. And she, she raised her voice at me and called me Lisa, who was, who's my aunt, her daughter, Lisa, and started getting on to me about not cleaning my room as if I was a teenager. It was just this eerie experience. Some of you have loved ones that are going through that right now, barely holding on to life, slipping away. And, and on top of all of that, now we put COVID-19, a, a global pandemic. A virus that's making people sick, that's killing people, a virus that has shut the world down. So in this particular video that I'm talking about, this guy, he couldn't be inside the memory care facility because of this virus. He had to be on the outside and couldn't be there with his wife. He had to sing through a window. Many of you right now, I've talked to some of you can't be with loved ones who are in hospice or similar situations because of COVID-19. And then I think of the, the economic devastation that's happening and, and how uh, all kinds of things are, are being shut down now. The, the job loss that's happening, how people are now have food insecurities, or I think of the fact that the foster care system has grinded to a halt, or I think of the, the kids that are stuck in abusive situations, or the people with special needs that don't have access to services. And the brokenness is kind of reverberating out when it comes to this virus. And so when we look at our world today and we look at our own experience, no one needs to be convinced that we live in a hard and broken world where really bad, evil, and heartbreaking things occur. And as, as sad as, as that video was, though, there, there was something redemptive about it. There was something endearing about this man in the midst of all that was sad. Everything that was causing suffering and heartache. There was something in him that wanted to put all of that aside and do everything he could to bring joy to another person. It was a glimpse that evil and suffering are not going to have the last say. This morning, this is the question that I want to ask and look to the scriptures for an answer, and that is this. If God is good, 
If God is there, if God is sovereign, then why do bad things happen? That's the question for the morning. If there is a God who is all-powerful and this God is good, why do things like Alzheimer's disease and cancer and COVID-19 and abuse and war and all of that happen? I mean, if any of us had the the power and the ability to to make everything right, to renew everything, to, to, to make all bad things go away, we would do that in a snap of a finger, wouldn't we? And so there are all these Christians who make the claim that there is a God, that this God is supremely good, and this God is all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. He has full control, yet bad things keep happening in the world. Am I really supposed to believe in this God? This is a great question, and one that humanity has been wrestling with for all of this existence. Philosophers, theologians, all kinds of people trying to get an answer to this question. And this might be the reason why you have really struggled with the idea of having faith in God. And my prayer and my hope for you this morning is after we look to the Bible for an answer, maybe you would reconsider. So let's, uh, let's think about this question, all right? And let me set it up a little bit. I want to come at this question with two presuppositions, okay? Two presuppositions. Here's, here's the first one, and this one is, is the most obvious and easiest to prove, and that's this, that, that bad things do happen and that evil things do happen, that, that evil does exist. That, that's presupposition number one. We don't have to go any further than our lived experience to prove that. So I think we're all be on board with this idea that bad, evil things do occur in our world today. But presupposition number two is this, is that there is a God who did create us. This morning, I don't have time to start answering this question by proving that there is a God. So we're going to start with the presupposition that there is a God. In fact, Nick Jones, one of our other pastors, um, answered this question in week two of the Reconsider sermon series. He asks the question, are we as humanity just temporary material beings or were we created by a God for a higher purpose. And in that sermon, he does answer the question of if there's a God or not. And so if you missed that, I really encourage you to go listen to it. You can go to our Facebook page, scroll down, you'll find the replay, our YouTube channel, or our podcast, all of that, our website, all of that has that sermon uh, there. So we know that bad things happen and we know that there is a God who created us. Okay, so with those two pieces of information, what usually happens is we can come up with one of two logical conclusions about God. All right, here's logical conclusion number one. That is this, if God is sovereign, all right, and I'm using this word sovereign, what I mean by that is all-powerful, in control, can do whatever he wants. Okay, so so if God is is sovereign, all right, then given our experience that bad things do happen, that evil things do happen in this world, then we can logically conclude, right, that God is not 
good, that he's not good. If he's sovereign, in control, because bad things happen, therefore he is not good. That's logical conclusion number one. Logical conclusion number two is this, is if God is good, if he's good, then we must logically conclude, because bad things do happen, that he's not sovereign, that he's not in control, right? So God is either sovereign and not good because bad things are happening under his control, or God is good, he's a, he's a great guy, but he's not sovereign because bad things happen, and a good God would use his sovereignty to make sure that bad things don't happen. And, and here's the reality. If it's true, that God is good and not sovereign, not control, then that means he's worthless. And he's not worth an ounce of our time and our adoration and our worship. He's not worth surrendering our life to if he is not sovereign. And the other thing is this, is if God is sovereign and therefore not good, that means he's evil. And he is not worth giving an ounce of our time or our worship or adoration to. He is not someone that we should surrender our lives to. That would mean that God is just a bully. But I believe that the Bible actually presents to us a third conclusion, a third way, where God is indeedly supremely good. And he is also completely sovereign over all of creation. And if God is good, and if God is sovereign at the same time, given our experience with bad things happening in the world, it must mean then that God is redemptive. Meaning he can take bad things... And using his sovereignty, he turns them into good things. And I believe that the Bible shows us this way and that it is better. And so we're going to study a passage of scripture in the book of Romans. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And in this passage, we are going to learn about God's relationship to the creation and how God uses his sovereignty for the good of all creation. So uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 and uh, here are the three questions that I hope that we get answers to from Romans chapter 8. Here, here they are. Number one is this. Why do bad things happen in creation? Why does a good sovereign God allow bad things to happen in creation? Number two is what is God doing about it? Is he doing something about it? And what is he doing about it? And number three is, what does that mean for me today? How does that help me today? Those are the three questions that we're going to get from Romans chapter 8. So we'll start with the first one. Why do bad things happen in creation? So if you get your Bible, I'm going to read uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 21. Um, we're going to read together uh, verses 18 to 28 through this whole time, but we'll start with just verses 18 to 21. Romans 8, 18 to 21 says this. this is, remember, this is the Apostle Paul writing to a church. Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. All right, let's break that down a little bit. So when we think about the question that we're tackling this morning, why a good God uh, would allow bad things to happen, that question comes with the presupposition that there would be no logical reason for an all-powerful good God to allow any suffering in the world at any time for any reason, right? That we, we, we logically conclude that. If God's sovereign and he's good, there's, there's no reason at all that he would allow any sort of bad or suffering or evil. But the scripture that we just read makes it very clear that the suffering and the evil that we experience in the world is very much temporary and it is not normal. In fact, verses 18 and 19 tell us that God does have a plan to eliminate all that is bad and evil in the world and that the glory and the joy that what the world will be like when God renews everything, it's going to be so good, it's going to be so amazing that it's actually not even worth comparing to the suffering and the evil that we experience today. So God does plan, he does plan on using his power and his sovereignty to rid the world of all that is bad, right? The suffering of today, it's very much temporary. It's very much temporary. And all of creation is longing and groaning for that day to come where God puts an end to it and renews everything for all of eternity. But it's also very much not normal, this suffering. It's not normal because we just read in verses 20 and 21 that all of creation, all right, everything, everything that we see was unwillingly subjected to the suffering and evil that plagues it today. In fact, the scripture uses the term bondage, that all of creation is in bondage to corruption and is eagerly waiting to be set free from that. So here's what we know. We know that, that God did not create the world with all of this evil and suffering. We, we know that. But something happened that broke the creation and subjected it to all of this evil and suffering, put it under bondage to all of this evil and suffering, and that God is doing something about it and says that there will be a day in the future where the creation will be set free from this corruption and from all of this evil and suffering. But today... We're in the midst of that brokenness. And along with all creation, we, we long for the day where God comes and he, and he renews all things and sets the creation free from its bondage. 
right? We're, we're rightfully groaning and asking God, when, God, when? When are you going to get rid of all the evil and suffering? When will you make all things new and right again? But the, but the question is, how did creation break like this? And, and why did God allow it to happen? And the answer lies in how God created humanity, how he created you and how he created me. See, if you go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we learn that God created humanity in a very specific way for a very specific purpose. The Bible says that we were created in the image of God and that God has given us the task of exercising dominion, leadership over all of creation, right? So to be created in the image of God means that God created us to resemble him, to represent him, right? And this is why humanity is superior to the rest of creation. We have the ability to do things like think and reason and innovate and create and do all of these things. These are God-given abilities given to us that we might use them on behalf of God to exercise dominion and leadership over the rest of the creation. And so here's what God did. God delegated to us authority and freedom, a free will, in order to use the abilities that he has given us as his image bearers so that we could rule over all creation, right? We are delegated managers of the creation. And so God gave us attributes, he gave us abilities, he gave us freedom, a free will to exercise all those things under his authority on his behalf as his image bearer because we represent him, we resemble him. That's what God created us for. That's our purpose. That's our design. But something went really wrong. If you read in Genesis 3, you learn that humanity didn't use their free will and all of those attributes and abilities and those things to represent God. They actually decided to reject God and to reject the fact that they were image bearers of God. And they decided, I'd rather represent myself. I would rather use all of these amazing abilities, God, that you've given me, my mind and my heart and my will and my passions and my skills and all of those things. I would rather use that, God, for me, not for you. And that's what happened. And it broke creation. It broke creation. It brought evil and suffering and corruption into the world because now we have a human race who uses everything that God has designed us with for ourselves and against everybody else, against God, against our neighbor. We now use it all for ourselves. We are now at war with everybody else, trying to prop ourselves up, and it broke creation. We have sinned against God. I mean, think of a time in your life where someone was, was counting on you for something, but for selfish reasons, you let them down. 
Right, right? It could be as simple as you promised your son that at the end of the day, when you got home from work, you would take him outside to the backyard and play a game of catch with him. But when you got home, you were tired from a long day at work, so you decided to sit on the couch and watch TV instead, disappointing your son, right? And it brought brokenness into the relationship, even if it was really small. Now expand that on a cosmic scale, multiply it by 7 billion people, all of humanity, God's calling us to bear his image, to look after creation, and we said no. I'd rather do my own thing, God. And it brought evil and brokenness to the world. God himself, according to Romans 8 then, subjects the entire creation to futility due to our sin until he decides to reverse it. He gives us exactly what we want. Freedom to represent ourselves. Freedom to sin against God. Freedom to use the gifts and the abilities and the passions in the amazing way that God created us for us and not for him and not for others. He gave us what we wanted. You know, and, and so one other thing we have to note about the way that God created us, God did not create us to be robots. He didn't create us to be robots. He created us with freedom of choice, with a free will, and we have all freely decided, freely decided to work against his will and not according to it. God and his sovereign goodness decided to create us, not as robots, but as people with free will who had a choice to make. And so now we have a world that is in bondage, where, where bad things do happen. And the question now is, what is God going to do about it? Because it's true that only God can do something about this. Only a God who is good and who is sovereign can redeem and renew all of creation without turning us into robots and taking us over, right? So what is God's plan? Because God is not going to snap his finger and turn all of humanity into robots and take over our free will and reverse all of it that way. He's going to do something different. So let's keep reading in our text. I'm going to read verses 22 and 23 of Romans chapter 8. Paul continues, he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, first, what Paul says here is that all of creation and all of humanity groans for all of the evil and the bad things in the world to be eliminated. We've talked about this, right? The idea of groaning from the pains of childbirth, what that's referring to is this, this pain that we feel and experience when it comes to suffering in the world, but that pain 
has kind of an expectation attached to it, an expectation that something good is coming. It's something that's embedded deep within us. We know that the world is not the way that it ought to be and that something different should come. A, a world that is good, a world that is new, a world where there is no suffering. We can imagine it. We can taste it. It's almost as if we've been created for that. God has put that on our hearts and it's because we're made in His image. We're designed to live differently, in a different place. And so your frustration with God that he has not renewed everything, it's actually affirming what Romans 8 is saying about you. That we're groaning for something different. We're groaning for this new world and it's good and it's right for us to be anxious for this to happen. So what is God doing and what is he waiting for? Well, in verse 23, Paul begins to refer to God's people, okay? So those who have, have surrendered their lives to Jesus, he's talking about them. He calls them the sons of God, all right? God's people. And he says that those people, the people who have surrendered their lives to Jesus, are waiting for their adoption and they're waiting for the redemption of their bodies. Now, what does that mean? It means that Jesus is up to something before he returns to get rid of all the sin and evil. That he's actually doing something right now and he needs to wait to return to get rid of all the sin and evil until whatever he's doing right now is complete. And what he is doing is saving people out of their sin and the suffering of this world and building a mass of people whom he's going to invite to live forever in a world that has been made completely new and all sin and suffering and evil has been eliminated, right? So the Bible uses the word adoption to describe this. We are born orphans. Yes, we have earthly parents, biological parents, of course, but we are born orphaned from God, separated from God, sinful, freely choosing to be orphaned from God. But God decides that he is going to do something about all of the bad that happens in the world. That he is going to break into that world and make a way that people can be saved out of it. Right? He is going to send his son Jesus, who will go to the cross to pay for our sins for those who trust in him. And then Jesus is going to be raised again from the dead, proving that he does have the ability to reverse death. He does have the ability to eliminate evil and pain and suffering, and that those things are not more powerful than he is, but he is indeed more powerful than death. And if you choose to follow Jesus, if you choose to confess your sin and your need for the cross, if you choose to walk away from a life of sin and to follow Jesus and begin to freely live according to the will of God, then God will forgive you of all of your sins, all of the stuff in the past, all of the stuff of today, and everything even in the future. He will call you his son and his daughter. 
and you are promised in that moment eternal life in that place where, where God makes everything new because you are now an adopted son and daughter with a new redeemed body to never be corrupted again, to never suffer again, to never face death or sickness or illness again. But God didn't make you a robot. That's why God is not snapping his finger and reversing all that is evil right now. We chose to reject God. We chose brokenness. And God's going to let us to have our choice. But by his grace, he has intervened and made a way through Jesus where you could be forgiven and saved from this world of suffering to a world of promised eternal life. And here's the deal. You long for that place. You groan for it. We all do. Every human being does. God has put that in your heart. And so my question for you this morning is, will you choose Jesus over this world? Will you trust in him this morning and what he did on the cross? Right. The reason that God has decided to not send Jesus back right now to judge all of those who have chosen a life of sin and to redeem all of those who have surrendered their life to Jesus and trusted in Jesus is because there are more people he wants to save. There are more sons and daughters that he wants to adopt. How does a good and sovereign God allow suffering in the world? He is waiting to include more people into the world where he makes all things new. He wants more people in. And so the question is this, what are you waiting for? Will you trust in Jesus? Because he's waiting for you. He hasn't returned yet and he will one day and will you choose jesus or are you going to choose this world of suffering and evil and so wherever you're at in your journey with jesus as a church we want to serve you we want to answer any questions that you might have you might even be a place where you're willing to surrender your life to jesus we'd love for you to reach out to us if you're local to us, uh, you can reach out to us. Go to our website right in the middle. The, the first homepage you see is a button that says connect with us. Click that, fill out the form. We'll give you, we'll get in touch with you. If, if you're not around Herndon, Virginia, find a good local church. Tell them that you're ready to begin a life with Jesus. But we'd love to serve you in any way that we can. But no matter where you're at with Jesus this morning, Maybe you're still exploring who Jesus is. Maybe you've been following Jesus for decades, right? And every, everywhere in between, right? wherever you're at, we still have to face and endure the brokenness of the world today as we wait for God to send Jesus back to renew all things. That is something we do have to do. And so while we wait, 
How does the truth that we are learning about today from Romans 8 help us to endure suffering today? Did you catch what Paul said about those who trust in Jesus um, in verse 23? He said that those people have the first fruits of the Spirit. What are first fruits, right? First fruits are the first agricultural product of the season that pop up. See, when someone comes to faith in Christ, God begins to produce things in them, right? The Bible uses the word fruit, the image of fruit for that. He produces things inside of these people as they wait for God to renew everything. These fruits of of hope in Christ and joy and peace in the midst of all of the chaos, love for others, contentment in this life, the ability to have endurance. And see, as we wait for Jesus and we follow Jesus, we develop this capacity not to become numb to the hardships of life, but we develop this capacity to have hope in the midst of them. And that hope is a guarantee. It's a first fruit of what is truly coming in the future. Uh, Look at what Paul says in the rest of our passage this morning, verses 24 to 28. Paul says this, he says, For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. There are some of you right now that are enduring suffocating hardship. And you've chosen Jesus and you trust in him and you follow him and you've surrendered to him and you hold on to that promise for eternal life and God making all things new. But you are in the midst of suffocating hardship. Like I'm thinking of some of you right now, specifically in your specific circumstances right now. I'm aware of them. I know the grief and the anxiety that you're in right now. Many of us are going to experience great suffering in the future. God does not promise a life without suffering on this side of glory. Maybe we're on the precipice of great suffering in our nation right now. Who knows? How do you endure in this hope, in this life, as we wait for God to put an end to all the bad and the evil. How do we endure in this hope? Well, in these verses that we just read, Paul encourages us towards two things. First, Paul encourages us to trust in God's goodness 
and his goodness. And because God is good, we can be 100% emotionally honest with God. I I want you to hear that this morning because I don't think this is something you hear a lot in church. That you can be 100% emotionally honest with God. When we're suffering, when we're angry, when we're bitter, when we're scared, when we're anxious, when we're confused, because those things will happen, God wants us to express them and emote them to him. All right, all right, Christians who pretend that none of those things happen, anxiety, uh, confusion, uh, anger, bitterness, uh, all those things, like Christians who, who say that they don't experience those, thing, those things are either lying or they're just really emotionally unhealthy. God knows we live in a broken world and he wants to give us hope to endure because he's good. And so this means that we do not need to be concerned that our prayers are, are, are perfectly worded and aligned with the will of God. We don't need to caveat our prayers to to ensure that we say the right things or God knows what our true motivation is, right? We don't need to couch our prayers in in religious jargon to try and sound more mature or um, put together than we really are. You want to know why we don't need to do those things? Why we can just be 100% emotionally honest with God because of this. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray. The Spirit himself intercedes with us, for us, with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That the Spirit will intercede for you exactly according to to the will of God. And so here's what that means. It's time to be 100% honest with God. Bring your suffering to him. Bring your questions to him. Bring your doubts to him. He's good. He can handle it. He wants you to do it. He wants to instill into you hope so that you can endure in this life. And if you're not emotionally honest with God, if you're not emotionally honest with anybody, then how can you hope when you're too busy trying to be someone that you're not? God is good. He's not cold. And as you pray, you're suffering to God. And as the Spirit prays on your behalf according to the will of God, He will lead you according to to his will for your life. He will lead you according to his will for your life. And that's verse 28. And we know for, for that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those that are called according to his purpose. See, Paul also encourages us to trust in God's sovereignty. That God will exercise his sovereignty to bring about good in your life as you wait for the renewal of all things. Because remember, in the beginning of this sermon, 
I said that if God is good and if he's sovereign at the same time, given our experience with bad things in the world, that must mean that God is redemptive. And what this means is that what God does for his children is he takes the bad, the suffering, even our own sin, and he is able to sovereignly redeem it into something good. I've been a pastor now for over 12 years. I've ministered to a lot of people and I've walked through a lot of hard things with people in those 12 years. Everything from breakups with college students to uh, the, the sudden death of a loved one to sitting in a hospital room with someone who just got told they don't have long to live. And what always blows me away is how consistent God is with keeping his promise in Romans 8.28. How people will endure with hope through really hard things and a year down the road or three years down the road or, or five years down the road or maybe even longer down the road, they'll look back on that hard season and they'll see the Lord's hand in it. They'll see his faithfulness and how he used that suffering or he used that sin to impact their life in such a way that they eventually called it good. I've seen marriages that have been devastated by infidelity where God uses that devastation to do something to redeem that marriage into something where it's better than it ever was before. I've seen God take skills that people have learned doing illegal stuff, get caught and thrown in jail, get saved in jail, and then use those skills for good redemptive things after they get out of jail. I've seen God do that. I've seen God use infertility in my own life and marriage with, with Kim. A really hard season, but it was a season where we were able to adopt my daughter. And now we look back on that season and we go, man, God took suffering. He took the brokenness of creation because infertility is a brokenness. He took the brokenness of creation and he turned it into something good. And we look back on our lives and we say, praise God. He's good. He's sovereign and he's good because he takes bad things and turns them into good things. And that's so much better. Only a God that is sovereign and good can make the promise like that. See, we live our lives in the middle of the parade we can only see what's immediately before us. We can only remember what's immediately behind us and our current surroundings. And we're just walking through parade. But God is above it all. He sees the entire thing from beginning to end. And he sees where this thing is going to end up. And as you endure in hope through life, waiting for the return of Christ, you can trust in the goodness of God as you pour your heart out to him and you can trust in the sovereignty of God as he directs your life through the hardship and the suffering. Now, why does God allow there to be bad things in the world? Suffering, evil. We chose that. 
And God did not create us to be robots. But He has come and intervened. He has broken into the brokenness of the creation. And He's given us a choice to, to join Him in making all things new in this world because He's good. Right? Or you can choose to trust in God and follow Jesus and allow Him to begin to direct your life or... You can choose to trust in yourself. What the Bible is saying this morning is that our choice to trust in ourselves is what broke creation. And now we're all groaning for all things to be made new. And God is in the middle of doing that. He's in the middle of making all things new. And you're not a robot. He's not going to hijack your mind. He's not going to hijack your heart. Will you trust in Him? Will you join Him in making all things new? Will you allow Him to produce fruit in your heart of hope and endurance, peace, and joy in the midst of all this suffering. He is good, and He's sovereign. He is not evil. He is not worthless. He is redemptive, and He will make all things new. Let's pray. God, this morning, our prayer is so simple. Lord Jesus, we're ready for you to come back. We're ready for you to come back. To rid the world of all this evil and suffering. To make all things new. God, we need you. But Lord, and as we wait, help us to endure. Help us to see how you are making all things new in this life, even right now. Help us to trust you and how you're sovereignly guiding our life. Help us, Lord, to join you in getting more and more people reconciled with you through Jesus. More and more people who will be a part of your kingdom for all of eternity. But God, right now, I just pray for those who are especially grieving and anxious and suffering in this time. God, would you remind them that you are good and that you are with them and that they can trust you. Would you comfort them in this time, God? We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.